Today's text comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want you for a moment to imagine with me, if you will, two separate coffee shops. These coffee shops aren't in opposition to one another, they're just offering different things. Coffee shop number one, is a commuter's paradise. It is quiet. There's a lot of one-top and two-top tables. They have free Wi-Fi. You can come and stay as long as you want. When you walk into this coffee shop, you see a lot of people on their laptops or with their books open, their calendars open, hard and diligently working. And it's a great place to be if you need focus and attention. Coffee shop number two is a little bit different. It's not quiet. It's actually kind of loud. You walk in there and you just hear a roar, a, a hum of noise, of conversation. You see families with toddlers who some are crying and screaming and some are well-behaved because they're toddlers and that's what they do. <laughs> you see a big, huge communal table down the middle that is mixed with people who didn't show up together. You see round tables and you see booths. You see a a women's Bible study. You see a birthday party going on in this coffee shop. And I'm not even really sure if they have Wi-Fi. And if they do, they don't really advertise it much. These two coffee shops are both great. They're great places and they serve very specific purposes. But they offer two totally separate things. One Coffee shop number one offers connectivity. It offers a space to be connected, literally connected to the world outside, to the internet, through Wi-Fi. It also offers the opportunity for connectivity, right? There are people in this coffee shop together experiencing the same thing, but they're not commingling. They're not together. They're just experiencing something at the same time in the same space. The other coffee shop, coffee shop number two, offers community. It offers an invitation to conversation. Even if you showed up and you didn't necessarily show up with people, you might strike up conversation with those around you. So this morning, we're going to be looking at presence, and I want to I compare and contrast those things in your mind, connectivity and community. As you'll know, we are in the midst of a series, a sermon series in the month of October, and all of our services where we are walking through the five membership vows, the five things that you commit to when you join our church. Prayers, presence, gifts, service, 
and witness. Last week, Brian did a great job of covering prayer as we opened with our one church service. And this week, he's asked me to preach on presence because that's a lot of what I get to do here in my role at our church. So I want to start off this morning talking about what presence is, because I think it's a confusing term. I think we can understand some of the other ones a little bit better than presence. Presence is not, let me tell you what it's not. It's not attendance. It's not coming to the building. When I offer my presence to our church, it doesn't mean that I just show up here because that's coffee shop number one, right? That's connectivity. And I think that's okay for a coffee shop, but I'm not sure that's what I want at church. When I offer presence, presence is about the difference between connectivity and community. It's the difference that you see in those two coffee shops. Let me give you another example. God bless the internet, right? We are connected in ways we've never been connected to people before. We have social media. I'm able to to follow people I knew in high school nearly 20 years ago that I have not talked to in two decades. And I can be connected to them, right? I can see their families as they grow, but I I don't know them anymore. That was a lifetime ago. So am I, do I have community with them or am I connected to them? You see, I don't think that technology necessarily offers us community. I think it actually offers us isolation because I can look from afar and see this thing that maybe I wish I knew better or I wish I was a part of or I wish I had community with and it can make me feel isolated. So if that's what presence is, the difference between connectivity and community, why is presence so important? And why do we offer that as a vow? And why are we preaching about that? I think that particularly over the last couple years, as we've gone through a pandemic, as we've experienced uh, social distancing and COVID and lockdown, I think presence is the one vow of the five that was the most affected by that season in our church, right? Because throughout the pandemic, I can still offer my prayers pretty well. I can still pray. I can, I can still give. And in fact, people gave even when there wasn't a service to come to and a place to, to put money in an offering plate. I can still serve. That service may look a little bit different. I can still witness. In some ways, maybe witnessing is better when I'm outside of the walls of the church. But presence, presence is kind of hard in that season. And presence, when I do the membership class and we walk through these membership vows, presence is always the one I say, this is the freebie, right? This is the one that you don't even have to work for because it's actually not something you're doing. It's a gift offered to you. It's something we get to enjoy. It's a gift from our Father. And the best example of that that I can give is to think back towards the tabernacle, back in the Old Testament, when God literally set up a space for folks to experience his presence amongst them. And so I could take you back to the Old Testament book uh, of Exodus, and I could walk you through several chapters that lay out the, what the tabernacle was and what it looked like. But instead, since we're, since we're looking at Hebrews chapter 10 today, I thought maybe we'd just rewind one chapter to Hebrews chapter 9. He does a really good job of giving uh, the Cliff's Notes version of the tabernacle. Anybody a fan of Cliff's Notes? 
Okay, I'm, I'm, a, I'm of a certain generation. Some of you may not know this term. There's, there's a term nowadays that is, it's TLDR, which is an internet term that means too long, didn't read. So this is the TLDR of the tabernacle, okay? I'm gonna go to Hebrews chapter nine, verses two to seven, and then I'm gonna take a break and we're gonna jump back in a couple verses later. So Hebrews chapter nine, starting in verse two. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, it is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, an Aaron's staff that was budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot speak in detail. Again, TLDR. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. So I'm going to pause right there. So picture with me, if you will, a giant circus tent. And the outer layer there, the outer curtain, gets you into section number one, the holy place. That's where priests can go. So not everyone can go in there. Only priests can go into that first section, the holy place, to perform for a specific purpose, to perform their priestly duties. And then there's another curtain in there that divides off the most holy place. Holy place, most holy place. They weren't the most creative coming up with names, but it's okay. Into the most holy place is where the presence of God lived. And in that space, only the high priest, a singular person, could go only one time a year and only when they prepared themselves and brought a blood offering, right? That's the only way they could get to that point. So although Christ set up, although God set up a place for his presence to be amongst his people, it wasn't accessible to everyone. So let's skip down a few verses to verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. If you'll remember at Christ's death, the book of Matthew tells us that the curtain, the one that divided the holy place from the most holy place, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. It was split from top to bottom, thus granting us access to God's presence. We no longer have to have someone stand in for us because we've had someone stand in for us eternally, eternal redemption. So now let's go forward to chapter 10 to the text for today. We're going to start with the first chunk, verses 19 to 21. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places ourselves now 
by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, dot, 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 I'm going to pause there. So we've established, so, so here's the thing about Hebrews. Hebrews is a giant sermon. If, you, if, if today, if this is not enough for you and you want another sermon today, you want to read, go home and read the book of Hebrews. It's a giant sermon. This sermon in Hebrews is, it spends nine and a half chapters establishing the fact that Jesus is the one and final ultimate high priest. He is the ultimate stand-in. He's the ultimate one that grants us access to God. And then the rest of the book is how are we supposed to respond to that fact? And so this passage today is kind of the hinge of the whole book. It's, it's taking us from establishing the fact of Jesus' priesthood to how we respond. And so we, we lay out this fact, therefore, since we have this priest who is standing in for us, now what should we do? And the author of Hebrews gives us three imperatives. They start with the words, let us. He says it three times. And this, to me, is the formula for us moving from connectivity to community. This is how we get to the ultimate embodiment of presence. Number one, verse 22. Let us draw near with a full heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We are invited to enter into an unhindered, direct relationship with God through the cleansing blood of Christ. This is presence, presence with God. And how are we offered into there? By the blood of Christ. And how do we know that? How do we remember that? How do we show that in the body of the church? What does it say? Our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies are washed with pure water. Does that sound like something we do here? We baptize, right? Baptism is our remembrance of what Christ did to grant us access to God's presence. When I think about being in God's presence, I, I go back to a verse that I've, that I've loved for a long time in the book of Exodus. And this is, this is right before Moses goes up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. And then while he's up there, God's going to lay out, here's how to build this tabernacle thing that's really wonky. He's going to lay all of that plan out. But before he goes up there, God tells him to come up there. And here's what he says. Exodus chapter 24, verses 12. He said, and the Lord said to Moses, come up to me to the mountain and be there. Does that sound weird? That doesn't sound how people talk. He says, come up here and be here. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been somewhere and not been there? Have you ever been in church and not been here? I have and I think that's what God says when he's inviting Moses into his presence, when he invites us into his presence, he says, come here, come to me here. And while you're here, also be here. Unhindered, direct relationship with God. Draw near. Number two, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. 
Sometimes if I read a, a, a verse in scripture and I, I'm a little bit confused about something, I like to go back. Listen, I'm a, I'm a seminary uh, grad. I, I took Greek. I took Hebrew. I like to go back to the word and kind of see if there's another translation for a word to help me better understand the meaning. So when I see let us hold fast to the confession of our hope, that word confession is a little confusing to me. It also can be translated acknowledgement. And when I do it that way, it makes more sense to me. Let me hold fast to the acknowledgement of our hope without wavering. So why do, we, why do we have to hold fast? Why do we have to hold on to hope? Why do we hold on to anything? Because it's slippery, right? Hope is slippery. Don't believe me? I want you to think about a time in your life when you were going through some kind of hardship. Maybe you or someone you loved was diagnosed with something, you know, that wasn't great. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you lost a friendship. Maybe you are just down in the dumps because some, some really unfortunate thing happened to you. Is it easy to have hope in that season? No, because hope is slippery. So we have to hold on to it. And because our hope is in Christ, it's in the story of the gospel, the other reason it's so slippery, the gospel's a weird thing. It doesn't make sense when you're in the midst of turmoil. You can rationalize yourself out of the gospel. So it's in those times that we have to plant ourselves and dig our roots down deeper into the established places of our hearts and hold fast. And it's also the reason that presence is so important because we need each other to help us in those seasons. Draw near to God, hold fast to the confession of our hope. Number three, verses 24 and 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is another one of those things where I wanted to, I wanted to kind of find another, another way to say this. Stir up, that word stir up can also mean provoke, which I really like. Provoke has kind of a negative connotation, but it doesn't always have to be negative, right? When I put it in this context, let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good works. It's the visible, it's the visual of like someone putting their hand on your back and helping to push you through when you don't want to take the steps yourself, right? Provoking us to love and good works. The reason we need that, the reason we need that provocation, we need that stirring up is because drawing near to God and holding fast to hope don't often happen in isolation. They're really hard to do on your own. We need each other because the gospel is in so much competition with other things in our life. I think you, I think you know that. I don't think I, like, you know that. You know that the gospel is in competition with things in your life. But there's no free agents in the kingdom of God and there's no free agents in the church. So we need each other to provoke and stir up. This points me to another passage on presence that I really love. It's in the book of Acts. It's right after Pentecost. It's kind of the continuation of that Pentecost story. It's in Acts chapter 2, 42. And it talks about four things that these early Christians committed to in order to create this community and presence amongst themselves. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
And the next verse talks about how they were filled with awe, right? They, they came to a gathering like this with expectation that God was going to move. And then a couple of verses later, it says, and day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. What if we came with that kind of expectation? What if we came expecting people to meet Jesus because we're devoting ourselves to, to teaching, to, to, to being filled up with scripture and with God's word, to fellowship. Fellowship's a weird word. It's a, it's, it's a church word that we use a lot that sometimes we don't totally understand. And I have always, I, I will remember this as long as I live. When I was a kid, like a kid kid, an associate pastor at my church gave a sermon about fellowship. And I will never forget this. He said, fellowship is what happens when you get two fellas in a ship. Anybody ever gone preaching or anybody ever gone fishing? What happens in a fishing boat? Fellowship, right? Building community, being in each other's presence. Teaching, fellowship, to the breaking of bread. They ate food together. Sign me up. And to prayer. I think we can get behind those. Those are, those are pretty, th- pretty easy things to, to sign up for. And the reason they had to do this, the reason they had to spend time together, the reason they had to stir one another up to love and good works is because these early Christians, it wasn't as easy for them as it is for us, right? It's, it's pretty easy to show up here and, and be here and even to really be invested here and to build community here. It's, that, that part's kind of easy. But for them, they're in a Jewish society, in a Roman culture where they're probably losing their job and they're probably losing their family and a lot of their friends by choosing to believe this thing and follow this way of life. So it was risky. So they needed each other to stir each other up and remind them and help them to hold on to the hope that they have. Draw near, hold fast, stir up. So how do we respond? How do we respond to that message? How do we move from connectivity to community? in drawing near, holding fast, stirring up. Well, I think it's in the, in the second half of that, that last scripture. Don't neglect the meeting together. Presence is important. There's only so much we can do uh, through Zoom. There's only so much I can do watching a service online. Listen, I, I'm grateful that we have that. I'm grateful that we have the opportunity to reach people in their homes when and if they can't be with us, but it doesn't replace being in the body, it doesn't replace presence. And I'm, and I'm sad that people don't get that when they can't experience it here. I, I got some really, really hard, uh, I got some really hard news this week, um, some family news. And as I was, as I was tying the bow on this, on this sermon and how I wanted to offer you something to chew on, this is what, I, this is what I've come to. I try, to, I try to project out from this moment, five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, what are the things that are happening right now that are gonna be important then? What are the things I'm gonna look back on and go like, oh yeah, that was super important in that season? Like, was it, was it like the social media interactions, positive or negative? Was it people wishing me happy birthday or people saying something I disagreed with? Or was it some politician that I liked or didn't like or some law that was passed that I liked or didn't like? 
Was it how my football team did yesterday? Which they won, in case you were curious? <laughs> Is that going to matter in, in five years, 10 years, 20 years? Is this sermon that I'm preaching, is this going to just change your life so drastically that 5, 10, 20 years from now, it's just going to, you're going to be, man, that one time, maybe, maybe it will. Maybe I've just really stirred your heart, and I hope so. But what I really think is going to matter is presence, right? Time spent with my family. Time spent building community of people that are gonna journey with me when I need people to provoke me and stir me up and help me to hold fast to hope and help me to draw near to God because it's not gonna be easy. There's gonna be seasons that I need people there. So the effort and time I'm putting into building that community now, whether it's in my family or outside of my family, that's gonna be the stuff that really matters to me. The beginning of this year, I made a, I made a couple New Year's resolutions, but one uh, was was a little bit of, of kind of self-accountability for me. Um, I committed to fostering, intentionally fostering three new male friendships in my life. Because I just got to be honest, ladies, y'all are way better at this than men are. <laughs> we do not do a great job of fostering community amongst ourselves, especially like post-college. Like when it's forced upon you, it's easy. When it's not forced upon you, you have to work for it. And I just got sick of like waiting for it to happen. And I've done an okay job. Like I certainly haven't like hit that out of the park. But that's something that I committed to because I felt like presence and community and this stuff was way too important. And so I don't know what that is for you today. I don't know what that is for you this week but somewhere you can improve presence and community in your life. You can take a step from connectivity to community. And that's my challenge for you this week as you go. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.